What is prayer? Stale tradition? Ritual? A good luck charm? Part of some religious checklist? Done to appease a higher being so we can get what we want? Or at least avoid the lightning bolt? Prayer has been redefined and twisted and confused. But at its essence, prayer is simply talking to God. The God who spoke the universe into creation, who gives us life and breath, who holds all things together. This God wants us to talk to him. In the vastness of all that exists, he actually cares about us, personally, individually. How can we not pray to such a loving God? Well, as is our rhythm, I would love to take an opportunity to share with you what's going on in the life of our church family. And I love this, but we always celebrate brand new life. So will you welcome to the world with me, Levi Powers. He was born July 24th, spent a little bit of time in the NICU in his home, and we rejoice. If you know uh, Kennedy and Angela, do you need to give them a text, a call, rejoice with them? It is a reminder. I say this all the time. A new life is a reminder of God's goodness, beauty, and promise to us. And so we rejoice and celebrate with them. Also, let me remind you, First Youth Worship uh, meets this evening to launch their season at five o'clock. And then following that, we're praying over students and families and teachers uh, for the brand new school year at six o'clock. Be sure to be back for that this evening. Next Sunday, we have time for teaching. This is an opportunity for our senior pastor, Chris, to kind of walk us through the scriptures. And he's gonna be talking about what what is biblical love. When we look at love in the scriptures, what, what is that kind of love like? Uh, lastly, Reengage starts its brand new season uh, September 6th. Our vision for Reengage is that every couple in our church family go through Reengage by 2027. Is it your turn? We believe that there's no better way to understand and live out your marriage than through the lens of the gospel. And that's what we do and re-engage. Whether you've been married forever um, or you're newly married, regardless of where you are in your season of marriage, we want you there. So register for that today. Well, my name is Danny. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. I have the privilege of preaching right here every week. And if you're new with us today, um, we are just thrilled that you chose to worship with us. We don't want to take it for granted. And if you would honor us by letting us know that you're here, you can do that by going to fbcsa.org slash connect. You can do that even right now. And I want to let you know that our mission in the First Baptist family is to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and lead all others in a joyful life with him. We believe that in Jesus you find real life and real purpose, forgiveness and restoration. And we wanna be about that business, about God's business more and more as a church family. We wanna encourage you to continue to give through this church family to be on mission in the city and, and beyond. You can do that by going to fbcsa.org slash give. Lastly, I'm gonna mention something that I've never had to say before. Now, I stand in the back 
I stand in the back as I watch people come in. It gives me an opportunity to greet folks. Well, today there are a lot of people meandering around looking for seats. And so next week, as you enter in here for worship, just be mindful of that. If you're able to move towards the center, that'll free up some spaces on the end for people. And it's okay to be near each other. It's okay. Get cozy. We may add a row or two in the back, but it's okay to get cozy with one another. So just be mindful of that if you remember next Sunday. Finally, finally, we are at the Lord's Prayer. We probably should have started here in this series on prayer, but finally we're here. Every week uh, I've been thinking, are we gonna, is it the Lord's Prayer this week? I know it's coming. I know it's coming. We've been verses five and six of Luke chapter 11 right after the Lord's Prayer, but finally we are at the Lord's Prayer, and it's a prayer that we know. It's a prayer that we know. So today, we're going to read the text all together, but I'm not going to put it on the screen. Because you know it, it's okay if we all recite it in the King James Version. It's all right. So would you stand with me? I'm going to read verse one, and then when we hit verse two, you guys are going to recite the Lord's Prayer. Are we ready? So let me read verse one, and then y'all will read, recite the rest. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Amen. Father, we rejoice in your word. We're thankful that Jesus gave us this prayer that all of us know because it's been handed down to us. Lord, help us to live it out in our life, to pray it out in our life. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. It's pretty awesome, pretty awesome that that prayer's been handed down and even those who aren't following Jesus likely, whether they realize it or not, know portions of that prayer. Isn't that pretty incredible? That prayer is, is so embedded in our Christian culture that we all know it. And that prayer takes us all back. It puts us all in a certain place, a certain memory. This morning I asked in our Bible study group, when did you, how far back can you go with the Lord's Prayer? Some of them are like, well, I remember, the earliest I remember is when uh, the choir would sing, just like we sang it this morning, the Lord's prayer. Others who, who grew up uh, going to mass every week heard it every single week as they recited it together. All of us remember that prayer. In my conversations with Anna over the week, she would say, gosh, this, this Lord's Prayer has a special place in me because it was the passage of scripture that my dad knew and he would say it and recite it. All of us, it takes us to a particular place. What I really 
got excited about this week as I was reading through this prayer on my own and, and really trying to as God brought it to my memory to pray it throughout my day. We, we took a stab at praying at it before dinner a few nights as a, as a family. Um, but one of the things that got me really excited is that the Lord's prayer is this window into Jesus's life. It's no surprise that the disciples wanted to know what Jesus had to say about prayer. Prayer was a, a, a rhythm in the life of a practicing Jew. They, would, they had rhythms of prayer in the morning, the afternoon, and evening, but there was something different about their observations of Jesus' prayer. In fact, they just saw him praying right here in verse one, and it triggered one of them to say, teach us how to do that. But they observed Jesus' rhythms. He would go off on his own to pray. He would pray spontaneously before an incredible event like the resurrection of Lazarus. They'd never really seen spontaneous prayer like that. They knew that prayer was a significant part of Jesus' life and not just some rote thing that they would do in the morning and afternoon and evening. And so it was the most natural thing for them to ask Jesus, teach us, teach us how to pray. And what Jesus does for us is that he summarizes for us what he is most passionate about. If, if we wanna know what makes Jesus tick, then the disciples have asked the right question. Teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray. And this model prayer that we all mem have memorized becomes an invitation to us, handed down to us by the apostles. Will what makes Jesus tick also make us tick? What Jesus cares about most, will we also care about most? Will we allow this prayer to be that filter for our life and our pursuits? Will it be a guide for us for what we should prioritize and what should matter most? Uh, another thing that's really cool about this prayer, it's a very proactive prayer. It's a prayer that's looking down the road with we're hopefully looking down the road not just reacting to events in their life, and that, that has purpose too, that as things happen to us, we stop and pray. But this prayer embodied this proactive, forward-looking, down-the-road petition to God. And lastly, I think what you'll observe in this prayer before we get to the heart of the prayer, is, or maybe you won't, I don't know. Um, but as I was looking through this prayer, I noticed uh, it seemed to really embody the first and second commandments, greatest commandments, right? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Hallowed be your name and to love your neighbor as yourself, living out that kingdom ethic of forgiveness and mercy towards your brother and sister. Um, pretty cool. Maybe you'll notice that as we walk through. What I'd like to do this morning is simply just walk through as, as much as we're able um, the Lord's Prayer this morning, beginning in verse two. He said to them, when you pray, when you pray, say, Father. Now, Father is very unique to Jesus, although there are some extra biblical examples of maybe a rabbi here and there referring to God as Father. No one said it like Jesus. In his normal rhythm of interacting with God, he always said, 
father. No one else did that at that we too become sons and daughters of God. You pray this way, you too get to pray Father. And it was a very familial word. It's like dad, right? He says, you're gonna have that kind of relationship with God as well. You pray that well. Um, Earl Ellis, a really well-known theologian said this, that that word suggests an intimate affection without cheap familiarity. Calling God dad or father recognizes who he is and the relationship without, with, we have with him without cheapening that relationship. If we move on, he says, Father, may your name be kept holy. Father, hallowed be your name. Now, this, this again gets us to the heart of Jesus. For Jesus, his father's renown and reputation was center to his heart. More than anything, Jesus wanted people to see his father the way he sees his father. In his majesty and glory, his beauty and his truth, he wanted people to get a glimpse of the reality of who this, this God is. And in the world in which Jesus was now living and walking had forgotten this God. And what's true then is true today. The idea of God has been greatly diminished. I mean, God who? God is dead, according to Nietzsche, right? God is no one. God is a figment of our imagination. And, and Jesus is praying that, no, all of that is lies of the enemy. I pray that your renown, your name, will once again be restored in its reputation among everyone, among all of your creation. Romans 1 21 through 23 says this. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God is like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. His renown was diminished as God handed them over to their own darkness and simple thinking about God. And then it goes on to say, as a result, their minds became dark and confused, claiming to be wise. They instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-loving God, they worship idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. Now, we might not worship people, birds, and animals. Well, maybe we do. But we worship everything else under the sun rather than God. And Jesus says, I want his renown to be restored. Now listen, when we use the word hallowed or holy, what Jesus doesn't mean is somehow build God's holiness or add to his nature and character so that he can be more, that's what we do. When we want to grow or build our reputation, what do we do? And these aren't necessarily bad things. 
you know, we want to get our name on a building or a brick somewhere. We, uh, we, we want to do really well at, at our job so people will take notice. Uh, you know, we have to build our own reputations. We have to build our own credibility, our own renown. God never has to build his renown, his holiness. When I was a junior in high school, I was at a camp in Switzerland. I went to school there for two, two years, and summer to my junior and senior year, went to this camp in Switzerland, and literally, there was mountains. We're in a little, little valley, Interlaken, Grindelwald, beautiful mountains, snow-capped mountain peaks, everything you can envision that you see in pictures, and we're in this room, much like this. In fact, it's just like this except switched. The glass, the glass is on my left and the stage is that way, but it's closed just like this is. And we're worshiping. We're worshiping. And at some point near uh, the end of that worship gathering, they raise the blinds and it's just this solid glass wall. And to the left of us is this impossibly beautiful, glorious, hallowed, mountain vista. Just didn't see it. That's what Jesus is getting after. Lord, may you do something to remove the veil that is keeping us from seeing your glory. We don't add to it. God doesn't have to build his reputation. It is just like that mountain is in all of its glory. We just need to see it. And Jesus says, I want, I want your name to be hallowed. I want people to see it and respond to your glory. Then he prays this, your kingdom come. Of course, when we recited it together, we added, which is from Matthew, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, center to the heart of Jesus. What Jesus is most passionate about is, is the renown of his father's name and that his kingdom come soon. Jesus was passionate about the coming kingdom of God, which had come in him. In particular, not in here, but if we were to look to Matthew, it's about God's kingdom coming to earth. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven when Jesus thinks about God's kingdom coming, he's, he means that. That he envisions God's kingdom coming in all of its fullness. That had arrived in Jesus. We know throughout the New Testament when Jesus talks about himself, when Jesus casts out demons and performs miracles, he tells people the kingdom of God is come. It is near. It is here in me. But he also was anticipating the, the fullness of God's kingdom coming, but it was coming to earth. For Jesus, God's kingdom wasn't something, uh, another place, distant place, some place that we would go to, but that God's kingdom would come here to earth. I mean, that's really new and challenging thinking for us. We're used to thinking that I will die someday and go to God's kingdom where it seems like the vision and mission of Jesus is that the culture and kingdom of heaven would be in harmony to a restored earth where God would reign and we would reign with him in all of his wisdom and ways. That seems to be 
Jesus' vision that through me, through my time as I walk with these disciples, would your kingdom come? Would people see the coming of your kingdom in me as I live and love and bless and heal and forgive? Would, would God's space and human space become in harmony? As I mentioned, Jesus demonstrated this in his, his, his life. Every time he healed someone, every, every time he demonstrated power over darkness and exercising demons, demons he gave us a picture of what that, that, that restoration of the kingdom of God looks here on earth. It looks like a healed person. Victory over broken flesh. It looks like casting out the darkness. Victory over spiritual darkness and demonic forces and sin and brokenness. It looks like forgiveness where people can experience the mercy of God. This is what John envisions when he sees a new heaven and a new earth. Jesus longed for and prayed for the coming of God's kingdom where a forgiven and restored humanity will rule with them over a new creation. We see that in Romans chapter eight, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That, that mission Jesus was passionate about. May your kingdom come. May restoration happen. Through me will you re remake this broken world. And may we align ourselves with your reign. He goes on. Verse three, give us each day our daily bread. Essentially what Jesus is prompting us to ask, inviting us to ask, knowing that we are called to live for the coming kingdom of God, for the reality of God's kingdom in our life through the work of the spirit of God, if we're living for God's kingdom, you're gonna need resources to live for God's kingdom every single day. You're gonna need what you need to live out that kingdom vision. And what Jesus is saying to us, that we come to God asking him for those needs. Give us what we need to live for your coming kingdom today. Just what I need today. Uh, this kind of praying is an awareness and dependence on the Father's daily generosity to aid us to live for his mission. Whether at school, in the workplace, just getting up in the morning, Jesus is saying, ask God to give you what you need daily, daily. It takes us, takes us back somewhere, you remember um, that the Israelites were in the desert for how many years? 40 years, and um, God met their need. How often? Daily. Every, could they keep more than they needed? No, they, could, they couldn't. They were dependent on the generosity of God every single day, manna from heaven and quail. And so Jesus is reminding them, just like the Israelites in the desert who are on their journey to the promised land, just as we are on our journey to the fullness and consummation of God's kingdom, will, God will give you exactly what you need for today. Ask him for it. And that's both physical and spiritual. We are very physical beings. We need to eat. We need energy to function. But we also need the bread from heaven 
In John chapter six, in his conversation with Pharisees and others who were trying to figure out what he meant by the things that he said, he said something startling to them. He says like, listen, when, when Moses gave you bread from heaven, they all still died, but I am the bread of life. Jesus is forecasting in this model prayer that who you need most, the resource you need most to get you by each and every day is me. Uh, you've got to sink your teeth into me. That's what, he, that's what he means by John chapter six in those verses. That faith is sinking your teeth into me. And you need to do it every day. And I will be your bread of life. Not only that, but he says another need, a daily need is forgiveness. He says, forgive us our sins. Goodness, we, we couldn't know the kingdom apart from the mercy and grace of God in the forgiveness of our sins. Our greatest need is kingdom mercy. To know forgiveness that we know was made possible or afforded to us because of what Jesus did on the cross. He, he paid the penalty of all of our sins so that we could know the mercy of God. And in this daily prayer, we regularly and say, forgive me. I'm trusting in the mercy and grace through your son. That's why Hebrews chapter four says we can go to him boldly. We don't have to question if mercy is coming tomorrow or on Wednesday. We know mercy is there because Jesus died and rose from the grave. Victory over sin and death so that we can come with confidence and say, here it is, here's my sin, forgive me. Perhaps our greatest need And then he transitions. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. What we know about Jesus and how he lived on this earth, I mean, he did insane stuff. He taught with authority, he healed people, he cast out demons, and he, he, he forgave people of their sins, which just baffled the Pharisees how he could do that. Of course, we know how he could do that. He was the son of God who would go to the cross and rise from the grave. But his earthly ministry, he demonstrated a brand new kingdom ethic, not one of a power and obtaining authority and, and putting people in their place and control. No, his new kingdom ethic was mercy, forgiveness, kindness, gentleness, the kingdom of God. Jesus turned everything on its head. He said, listen, if you, want to be, if you want to be great and renowned, then you better be prepared to be last. Become a servant to everyone. Kingdom ethic. This, this prayer of, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Jesus is saying, will you ask daily that God moves you and empowers you, resources you to live out his ethic of mercy towards your neighbor? Love your neighbor as yourself. Will you embody the kingdom ethic or will you just do your own thing, your own way? Will you be merciful and kind? Will you love your enemies and pray for them? Pray for those who persecute you. 
That's not the way the world functions, but if you are ambitious about God's kingdom, will you forgive people the way that I've forgiven you? Will you live out that ethic in extraordinary ways and confounding ways? Perhaps that's how people see the unveiling of the holiness and glory of God in us when we live by kingdom ethics. And lead us not into temptation. Jesus says, I want you to pray. Lord, keep me from just going about my own business and choosing the easier, more comfortable path. Prevent me from trying to make my own name great. I don't want to give in to that kind of temptation to make everything about myself and control. I want to live for your name. I want, to, I want to avoid all the snares and traps that would keep me from kingdom living. This is, this is Jesus echoing his temptation of the desert. Jesus was in the desert for 40 days, tempted by the devil. And, and every little area, take control, do this your own way. Don't do it the Father's way. And every single time, Jesus resisted temptation. And Jesus says, I want to acknowledge you, to you apostles and to us today, that living for the kingdom of God until Jesus returns is hard. You're gonna face daily temptation. You're gonna have daily needs and you're gonna need God's generosity every single day just to get through the morning or the afternoon or the evening especially when we start feeling the pressure from the world to say, ah, oh, just walk away from Jesus. He's a hoax anyway. Live your own way. Jesus says, I know that living for the Father's kingdom is hard. It was hard for me. It's gonna be hard for you. And you're not greater than your master, are you? You're gonna face the toughness and hardness of real life as you fight to hold on to Jesus. Some of you know more what that's like than others. And when we face that temptation to yield to our own egos and the lies of the world in our own way, and our own wisdom, he says daily, you pray, Lord, deliver me from evil. Give me what I need. Help me to live out kingdom ethic and keep my feet on the path. I don't wanna go any other way. Will Reagan, he's a Christian musician, at the end of one of his songs, he says this line, which I couldn't get out of my head this week. Moving to the rhythm of Jesus' heart. This prayer, this model prayer that we all know by heart is an invitation to us. Will we move to the rhythm of Jesus' heart? Will we move to the rhythm of his heart? Perhaps, perhaps, this week, maybe this needs to become your practice from this, and not in a rote kind of, I've got that memorized kind of way. Why don't you add this to your prayer life? This verbatim prayer, well, in English. Will you begin to pray that prayer? What would happen if all of us began to pray, Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It, it might when we begin to move according to the rhythms of the heart of Jesus, it might just change our homes and the city 
our neighbors. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Jesus' heart of prayer. Teach us how to apply this model to our own life. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen.